Destiny. My tale of revenge ain't one for a Hollywood movie. There was no good girl, no bad girl, no pristine heroine, no bullying nemesis, and there certainly wasn't no love story involved. It came down to a couple of teenagers at summer camp, and it was petty and mean and something that I regretted for the rest of my life. Don't worry, I'm not bringing Daddy into this story, not too much at least. As bad as what I did, he wasn't in no place to act like an expert on morality anyway. The man never set foot in the church. Not that church-stepping was the apotheosis of ethos. Blaming Nana's wholesale refusal to adhere to any social or political standard as a reason for his heresy. Maybe that's why he decided to make a living selling drugs. Here's the story. When I was 12, Daddy sent me to a sleepaway camp for two weeks. We had a pool we could swim at, and a lake, and I took sailing classes, and archery classes, and pottery classes, and played soccer and basketball, and we got to eat in a big cafeteria and get snacks at a commissary every night. It was one of the best times I ever had in my life. Except for the Beast. That wasn't her real name, but that's what everybody called her. Her real name was Destiny. I got along fine with the Beast for about the first minute or so, but after that she was all insults and accidents. Get out of my way, you skinny little redneck. I didn't mean to elbow her in the face. It was an accident. You played basketball like a white girl. Her stomach jumped in front of my foot. I could handle the beast fine on my own. For every punch, kick, scratch, and hair pull, I gave back ten times worse. Had to. The girl was five inches taller than me and weighed about thirty tons. If she wasn't Ruth Grace Hogg's sister, she had to be at least a distant relative. So the beast learned to leave me alone pretty quick, which was good for me but not so good for some of the other kids. One of them was my friend, Daniel Dickerson. Daniel Dickerson was a small fry, a cute little thing with a blonde bowl cut and a button nose. Everybody liked Daniel Dickerson. His personality was infectious. But all the qualities that drew people like me to him because we wanted to be friends also drew people like the Beast to him because they wanted to hit him. It wasn't nothing new. Kids like Daniel Dickerson been attracting kids like the Beast since there's been kids like Daniel Dickerson and kids like the Beast. That's to say forever and a day. The weirdest thing was that initially that attraction was Shakespearean. The Beast was a big black girl from Baltimore, Maryland, and Daniel Dickerson was a tiny Asian boy from Reston, Virginia. They had about as much in common as a snake and Van Gogh. But oh my lord, did she love that boy. The first time she saw him eating Fruit Loops at breakfast, she was like about to choke on her bacon. Watching her try to woo him was about as painful as a pulled tooth. But once she realized that Daniel Dickerson didn't just not return her affections, but actively spurned them, well, you ever see that movie Alien? That's when the real beast truly came out. I don't think I need to go into all the details of the hurting she put on poor Daniel Dickerson, and we were proud of him for putting up as much of a fight as he could. For such a little squirt, he could really take a punch. And I'd like to say somebody did something about it, but they was all happy that the beast had decided to sharpen her fangs on a different victim's bones. And I'm ashamed to say it, but that included me. And for all of you who are wondering where the camp counselors were during all this, 
You have to understand that a certain amount of roughhousing and bullying was always bound to fly under their radar. The beast was slick and devious, and she didn't always broadcast her assaults on national TV. So Daniel Dickerson was as brave and as strong as he could be for as long as he could be. But even the toughest cowboy on the ranch cried in his whiskey at some point. And even though Daniel Dickerson was more akin to a junior ranch hand and more likely to cry into his chocolate milk, he, just like everyone else, was not immune from his emotions. One morning, my tent counselor, Veronica, asked me to go down to the dock shed and pick up a paddle for an activity she had planned for after ice cream night at the mess hall. And boy, howdy, was I happy to do so. The dock shed was at least a mile and a half from the tents where we all slept. And her asking me to go all that way by myself meant that she knew I'd do what she asked and not make no fuss or screw it up. And that meant a lot to me. There's a key hidden in a fake rock behind the shed, Veronica said. Don't forget to put it back and don't let anybody see you do it. I nodded solemnly. This was a sacred task and I could be trusted to achieve my objective. I took my time walking though, enjoying my freedom. I stopped at the commissary and bought a candy bar and a soda. I took a couple of shots with some kids playing horse in the basketball courts. It was about an hour by the time I finally made it down to the dock. I knew I was running late, so I ran around to the back, and there was Daniel Dickerson, sitting on a stump. I must have startled him as much as he startled me because he jumped up and spun around. Holy moly, you scared the life out of me, Daniel Dickerson! He didn't say anything, and at first I thought he was monkeying around. But then I saw his shoulders shaking, and I knew he was crying. You all right, Daniel Dickerson? What are you doing back here all by yourself? You know it's ice cream night, right? And leave me alone! Daniel, I said leave me alone! Then he let out a sob to shake the rain out of the clouds. I let him do it for a while. Let him get the worst of it out. Then I said, Did the beast do something to you? She hurt you again? I don't know what her problem is. She's always picking on me and hitting me and pinching me and nobody will help, not even you! I'm sorry, Daniel. What did I ever do to her anyway? Nothing, Daniel. He didn't do nothing. Some people is mean like that, I guess. She better leave me alone. I might be little, but I could take care of myself. That's the spirit. Like my daddy always says, more your craft hot. I stumbled to a stop. Not because I'd forgotten daddy's catchphrase, but because Daniel's left hand had dropped to his side, and in that hand, he was holding a steak knife. She got that steak knife for, Daniel? Nothing. Really? Nothing? He didn't respond. You fixing to use that on her? He still didn't respond. Well, let me make you a deal, Daniel. You let me have first crack at her, okay? If I can't get her to leave you alone by the end of the day, you can do all the damage to her you want. Deal? How? Never mind that. Well, how will I know? Oh, you'll know. He fell silent again. What do you say? We got a deal? He finally turned around, and his eyes were red and puffy. Tonight? Yep. Okay, but if you don't get her, can I hold on to that knife until I do? He took a step back. Just for safekeeping. I'll give it back if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. Promise? Promise. Okay. There wasn't no way in hell I was going to give that knife back to him, but I sure meant what I said. I was going to get the beast. Daniel Dickerson was a friend to everyone. He was one of the nicest, smartest, funniest kids I'd ever knew. Hurting him was like hurting a puppy. I left him there and went back to the main campus, paddle in hand and anger in my heart. I was angrier than I'd ever been. 
I stop at the commissary again for another candy bar and a bottle of Visine for my allergies. And that night, during dinner, I spiked the beast's orange juice with it. I'd heard about it from an older kid, an eighth grader who said his big brother did it to a teacher he didn't like. So the teacher threw up in the middle of class and had to go home sick. So I thought that's what would happen to the beast. She'd get sick for a bit, throw up, you know, maybe get some diarrhea. As it turns out, spiking someone's drink with Visine is a lot worse than I've been led to believe. That night she got up to puke and got lost along the way to the bathroom. Then she fell down and broke her wrist and had a seizure. They had to call an ambulance and everything. And when the dust settled and we got word that she was okay, the guilt sank into my bones and started eating away at me like a cancer. I waited a day before I went to Veronica and fessed up. Telling her about it was terrible. The look of horror on her face was worse. She brought me to the camp director who listened to my story. And when I got to the part where I spiked her drink, she stopped me. What did you say you put in your drink? Visine. From the commissary? Yes, ma'am. She exchanged a look with Veronica. Amanda, do you know what epilepsy is? Yes, ma'am. A kid in my second grade class had it. It gives you seizures. That's right. That's what Destiny has. That's why she had a seizure. But the eye drops... Ah, sweetie, we don't sell Visine here. Our eye drops are homeopathic. Everybody just calls it Visine. Homeopathic... It means... I know what homeopathic means. So I didn't spike her drink? Oh, yes, you did. Just not with anything that would hurt her. Oh. I got sent home that very day. Daddy had to drive all the way up to get me. Didn't say a word the whole ride back. Two and a half hours of pure silence. That hurt worse than thinking I'd almost killed someone. If August was the armpit of summer, September was the armpit of August. Not hot enough to be summer and not near to cool enough to be fall. That's the way it was supposed to be around here. Not that year, though. The world was changing, getting hotter. And if we didn't know it before, we sure did then. I was standing on the roof of the school one morning, looking out over the weed-choked parking lot in the woods beyond when a funny-looking mosquito the size of a basketball buzzed up the side of the building, caught in the updraft of a humid, moldy-smelling breeze. I near-about jumped out of my skin. Holy cow! I cried. It hovered over me as I fell flat on my butt, its wings buzzing like a chainsaw. Dang thing had claws and paws and a funny little tail and a needle or a bloodsucker or whatever those things were that was longer than its body. I drew my gun, a three fifty-seven. I got out of the armory, the old equipment room in the main gym, and trained it on that thing. It buzzed and buzzed and cocked its head like a dog. Made me laugh out loud. You go ahead and try, you nasty thing. See how good you fly without a head. Either it understood English, or it decided I wasn't worth the effort, because it stroked the air with its paws, and then papery wings ramped up and it buzzed off into the morning. Unnerving, isn't it? I turned around and Alani was standing there with her hands in her pockets, following the bug as it flew away. I'd never noticed how beautiful she was. She had the most stunning green eyes I'd ever saw. 
and I remember Frankie telling me her dad was from Chicago, but her mom was Hawaiian. She also said Alani was a lesbian, but I didn't care about any of that. Frankie seemed to think it was important, though. She's from New York City, she said. So? I'm just saying. Frankie said a lot of things like that. I tried not to think about it too much. Back on the roof, I holstered my gun and stood up and dusted myself off. It sure was ugly, but it ain't the scariest thing I ever seen. Not yet, at least. That's right, the, uh, what did you call it? The kangaroo ape? Kangape. Kangape, right. I squinted one eye closed, wondering if she was making fun of me. What's going on, Alani? I thought you was leading that scavenging party. I am. We're leaving soon. Good. Pick me up a candy bar, will you? Anything else? Probably need some tampons soon. I'll see what I can do. You do that. Amanda, before I go, we need to talk. What about? I've been doing my share. I finished my work on the patch out back, and I did some extra work out on the football field. Is that what you wanted to hear? Not necessarily, but thank you for doing all that. You've really been a credit here, Amanda. We couldn't... All right, then. I'll be on my way. Amanda, wait. What? Well, rumor has it you're thinking of going on a little mission of your own. Damn that, Frankie. I knew I shouldn't have even hinted about it to her, but I thought it had to do with Timmy Carter, and I thought she might want to come along. Where'd you hear something crazy like that? I think you know. I wish I did. I pulled out a pair of binoculars and pretended to scan for something on the horizon. It was a strategy I learned from Daddy. If you're ever guilty of something, clam up tight. Nobody can't arrest nobody for not talking. Daddy's shaky understanding of our legal system aside, I did find it useful in social situations. People got uncomfortable in silence, like they couldn't abide a single moment to gather their wits in thoughtful contemplation. If it did get quiet, they usually started yapping it up in order to, I don't know, pollute the air, I guess. But not Alani. She was a sharp one, she was. She let me be quiet, let that gap build between us, and all of a sudden, I was the one who was uncomfortable. Okay, she said. We can play that game if you want. But listen, I can't tell you what you can and can't do. You're damn right you can't. But I can tell you that whatever it is you're thinking of doing, it sounds dangerous. I'd hate to lose someone like you, Amanda. So before you go off and do whatever it is you need to do, I'd like you to think about it first. I ain't saying I'm thinking of doing nothing because I'm not, but let's pretend I was. You think I wouldn't have a plan? That gap between us became a yawning canyon. Better be a good one, then. Uh Uh-huh. She started to leave, but stopped and half-turned back. One more thing, Amanda. You're on your own with this one. I can't let you take any of my people. Well, that really boiled my butter. Not just what she said, but the way she said it. Like I was some kind of impulsive kid. The Nana Jet me wanted to give her an earful. Who did she think she was talking to? I didn't care if she came from New York City or Washington, D.C. I've been through too much to let anybody think they could talk to me that way. But then Daddy spoke in my ear, and I didn't say anything. Here's what he said. Forget that old girl. She don't matter. Don't matter at all. The truth was that the thought never crossed my mind to enlist any other people. Other than Frankie, of course. If I was going to kill the girl for what she did to Timmy Carter, I was always going to do it myself.
If the girl was any good at setting up a perimeter or guards or trying to protect Hangnail's farm, somebody, anybody would have seen me slip over the front fence and drop onto the gravel driveway that split the two cornfields right down the middle. I'd meant to jog straight up that driveway and right up to the girl herself, put my gun against her head and pull the trigger. That's how angry I felt, but land's sake, I had to stop a tick and take in what she'd managed to do to the place before I killed her. The transformation was positively dramatic. Them hay bales was long gone, replaced by rows and rows of yellow corn that stretched up to the house with its green solar panels gleaming and the greenhouses still standing in the back. My first thought was that the girl might have been able to plant that corn, but if she didn't harvest it soon, it was going to rot in the stalls. As soon as that thought finished forming in my mind, it was followed by the reason why she hadn't done anything with it yet. Lumbering through the fields were at least a dozen of the monsters that ate Timmy Carter. Those weird, fat things with the clear wings and tumors growing out of their faces. And they were eating... The corn? Which led to my second thought, which was that the girl must have fortified the fields with fresh bodies, because why else would those things be grazing out there? And where did she find the bodies? Were they Max? Or was she going around killing people? As if to settle the matter, the ground shook beneath my feet, and the breath of a snort warmed my back. I turned around, and one of them monsters was right behind me. There wasn't nothing I could do. The gun I had wasn't no match for it. The thing had to drop on me anyway. I stumble-stepped back and fell flat on my butt, bending a corn stalk and gaping up at the pure alien strangeness of its face. The rainbow of color striping rubbery skin, the strawberry-like growths all over its face, that bone stalk sticking out of its head. It leaned forward, opened its mouth, and I saw a pink tongue and flat teeth, and it chomped down at me, and I scrambled back as fast as I could, and the corn I'd set on popped up and went right into the dang thing's mouth. It tore it up out of the ground with a satisfied grunt and started to chew away. Then it snorted again, pulled its head back, and thundered off toward another part of the field. I barely had time to stand up and dust the dirt off my jeans when that old feeling, that sexy zing, hit me right in the head. It was a mite weaker than I remembered, but I hadn't felt it so long that it still made me dizzy. Then a form rattled out of the corn and smacked me in the face, knocking me flat, and I thought, great. I got up again, jaw aching, and spread my legs a little. I played this game before. My gun wouldn't be no use here. The only way I was going to get out of this alive was by luck and timing, so the next time I felt that zing and heard that rattle, I braced myself and took a swing. But the form zipped by and slugged me in the kidney, and I went down with a grunt. All right, last one. I closed my eyes and concentrated. It was just like the batting cages. Anticipate the pitch. Put the bat where you know the ball will be. Wait for it. Wait for it. Zing! Rattle! I stepped to the side and stuck out my foot, waiting for the pain as whoever it was hit it full force. But it never came. And suddenly he was there. A boy with brown hair and bright green eyes. He didn't do anything. He just looked at me. Then, zing, rattle, zing, rattle, zing, rattle. And they surrounded me. Another boy and two girls. Brown skin, olive skin, pale skin. The only thing they had in common was the color of their eyes. Wasn't nothing I could do about it. And I didn't want to do anything about it. These kids wasn't on my list. Just her. I put my hands up, palms out. Okay, I get it. Y'all got the drop on me. I smiled when I realized what I was going to say next. Take me to your leader. I tried to provoke them as they marched me up the gravel drive to the house, but none of them seemed to be in the mood to talk. You guys sure are fast. I've got some sort of cardiovascular training program in there. 
Nothing. Since you guys are spineless cowards, how do y'all walk at all? You should be mounds of jelly on the ground. Nothing. Y'all remember the time you tried to kill me and it backfired and I killed one of y'all instead and then escaped because of a jar full of the brunette shoved me so hard that I stumbled to my knees. And that was exactly what I was waiting for. I grabbed two handfuls of dirt and gravel and threw it into his face and he froze and they all froze and I swear I saw him following the little grains and pebbles, their mouths working. Three, six, nine, twelve. And then I hauled off and socked that brown-haired kid in the jaw, set them sprawling. My gun was jammed down in the front of his pants, but when I leaped for it, I felt that zing and the air around me curdled, and it was like trying to move through a solid wall of heavy water. And then I just stopped, hung there in the air, suspended like a fly in amber. There were four pulses latching onto me from behind, like invisible lines, and I had no doubt who each belonged to. Rather than fight, I tried to feel them out, see what I could do or how I could use them to my advantage. I reached out with my mind and grabbed the first one. It was silky and soft, like a water-filled tentacle, and it thrummed with power as it waved in the air. I pulled on it, used it to turn myself around, felt its grip loosen, felt all of them loosen, and then I was facing them, the green-eyed Max, the girl's nasty old friends. The pulses looked like tubes reaching out from their chests. Judging by the scared looks on their faces, they hadn't expected me to turn around. I pulled the girl on the left toward me, and she tried to resist, but it wasn't no use. I was stronger, and I was more determined, and I was angrier. When she planted her heels in the gravel, it just made me even madder. So I yanked as hard as I could, and she jerked forward. I didn't know what I was going to do once I had her, because I still couldn't move my arms and legs. But that didn't bother me none. The important thing was that I had power, too. I yanked on the line, and the girl flew through the air, and I clotheslined her as she passed. Then I yanked on another one, but instead of hitting him or anything, I let him fly by. Not so tough when somebody else is stronger, huh? I said. Then the brown-haired boy got off the ground, and I felt his link wrap around my neck and squeeze. The girl was in one of the greenhouses. She was feeding meat from a bloody bucket to a teeming mass of polar crabs swarming in a pit they dug. Steam rose from it in clouds, and water dripped from the glass above. Living on the farm, I'd heard a lot of gross sounds. I've helped birth all kinds of animals, from piglets to calves to foals, and I've butchered fish and chickens and sows, and the noises that accompanied all that were some terrible noises in their own rights. But knowing what I knew about the polar crabs and their eating habits made the sound coming from that pit probably one of the worst things I ever heard. They clicked and clacked and smacked and cracked with a ferocity to match the worst demons in hell. Didn't bother the girl none. Or the green-eyed devil minion she called friends. She didn't look up as they dragged me toward her, choosing instead to reach into the bucket and calmly toss bloody hunk after bloody hunk into the pit with the placid expression of a nun at prayer. The pulse around my neck squeezed tight when we got within five feet of her. And did she stop what she was doing? Take a tick to acknowledge the presence of the person who took her in from the cold, gave her a place to stay, food to eat, a reason to live? I might not have been the most cultured critter on the planet, but Daddy certainly taught me my manners. The girl wasn't cool, she wasn't tough, and she wasn't impressing nobody. She was rude. My nana would have smacked my head silly if I ever pulled something like that. Hey, I started, but the brown-haired boy tightened his noose and cut off my wind. Didn't hold it long, just enough to make a point. All right, Brownie, all right. Eventually, the girl saw fit to address me. First, she wiped her bloody hands off on a white towel she draped over her shoulder, you know, to make me wait. Then, without looking at me, she said, You didn't have to kill him. Kill who? I've killed lots of hymns. You know who.
I had to think for a minute before I remembered who she was talking about. The blonde boy. The one with the dreads. Oh, you mean old dreadlocks? Well, he tried to kill me first. You were there. Brownie tightened his pulse again, but this time it was more irritating than painful. You mind telling Brownie back off? Choking me out's making it hard to think. She gave him the curtest of nods, and the tentacle around my neck loosened. We were seven. Now we are six. So? We needed him. For what? You putting together a basketball team? That's too, too many if you are. You don't understand. He... No, you don't understand. What is all this? The polar crabs? Your flunkies? If you're going to kill me, kill me. Don't stay in there acting like some stupid James Bond villain. Brownie tightened his grip for the third time, but this time he didn't stop. I fell to my knees, choking, clawing at that slick, invisible pulse. But that was about as useful as boobs on a bowl. I did it anyway. What else could I do? I didn't start to panic until my vision went black. I thought, it's now or never, Amanda May, and sent out my mind to loosen the pulse. And it did. Only a little at first. Testing it. Seeing if I could get it to work as well as the first time. And it did. The pressure released enough for me to breathe again, and I took in a whopper of a gulp. My vision cleared, and I felt the zing as the girl joined in, and another, and another. But they didn't know what I knew. That I was, well, if not one of them, just like them. The girl did, though, and when she realized what was going on, she yelled, Stop! But none of her friends listened. Brownie doubled down and so did the others, but it was too late. The more they fed their pulses, the stronger I got. All right. No more bluffing. I harnessed all that energy like I did before, right in that very house four months before. I drew it into myself, felt it working around my bones and tendons, warming my muscles, healing my injuries, and when I was ready, I sent it blasting back out at all of them, and they flew backwards into the air. One, two, three, four, all but the girl, but even she stumbled a little. One crashed through the glass, two more hit their heads on support beams, and the other one just hit the floor. Brownie still had my gun jammed into his pants, and I stalked over and snatched it out, making sure to clip him in the temple with the grip when he tried to stop me with a feeble grab. Then I set out to finish what I'd come there to do. You really think I'd be that easy to get rid of, girl? You're not paying attention, are you? She backed up, looking around, panicked. This was not a part of her plan. She flattened herself against the greenhouse glass, and I pushed the barrel of my gun into her temple. She closed her eyes. What now? Please... You don't want to do this. How'd you lose your stutter, huh? You get yourself a post-apocalyptic speech therapist? It took time to be myself again. Whatever. Amanda, please, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I do. Then I turned around and shot one of her friends. Brownie stood up and I shot him too. That looked like I don't know what I'm doing. Please, stop. I turned the gun back to her. This is what you did to Timmy Carter. But... I pulled the trigger, but she sent out a pulse that caught the bullet as it left the barrel. It swerved, and she pulled to the side, and it cut a rivulet in her skull. That's okay, I said. I have a few more. Amanda, stop! Holy moly. That voice, like an elephant with a head cold. Then the man himself was there, standing at the greenhouse door, two buckets in each hand. Timmy Carter? He dropped the buckets and ran over, and I braced myself for his hug. But he ran past me and right over to the girl and engulfed her in his arms. Then he pulled back and laid a kiss on her that would have made a pimp blush. Oh, oh my. You okay? he asked. She nodded up at him, smiling. She wouldn't have been able to do anything I didn't want her to do. I know, but... 
You don't have to worry about me, Timothy. Timothy? Timmy Carter brushed her hair off her forehead and turned around to look at the bodies bleeding out onto the greenhouse floor. Then he finally looked at me. What did you do? Remember the time I poisoned the little girl and she had a seizure and Daddy picked me up from summer camp and didn't say a word to me for the entire two-hour drive? As bad as that was, the long walk back to the high school through the heat and humidity was a zillion times worse. When I finally slunk back onto campus, Frankie happened to be on door watch. Her leg was splinted and wrapped from ankle to thigh, and she was wearing a neck brace, and her face was all swollen and bruised, and she had the temerity to say, Jesus, you look like hell. Timmy Carter's alive, I told her as I strode past. Then I went straight back to my bed in the commons, and sat there, and stared out at nothing, and said nothing, and stayed that way for a long, long time. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So, if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtails. That would be fantastic, and I will see you guys next week.